The, the other thing that I, I was surprised by in kind of the research, you know, you get a volume of profile stories from, from all, all throughout the uh, news about you. Why are you smiling about Oh, well, it was, I guess it's the amount of, like, print copy that's been devoted to your coaching changes over the years and either, you know, criticism or people poking fun at it. And, I mean, it just seems like... You know, whether you stay at one place for a year or three years or 10 years, if you want to switch roles every few years, you need to do what makes you happy, and that's your right, and you've earned the ability to do so. So I guess I'm just curious in your mind why you think you've received criticism for that over the years. I don't know. You know, I, I look around. Um, I never had the intention of leaving a lot of people tell me people were angry I left because maybe they thought I was doing a good job and I was a good fit. Right. I really believe in my heart that's a big thing. But like I told you before, I, I really felt I had reasons to leave. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love no playing there. Oh, man. I'm sorry. sorry. It's just hitting me right now. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? All right. We are back. This is On the Line, the only true crime NBA podcast on the internet. Ben Craw, the Knicks and Pacers are knotted up two games to two. We are headed back to Madison Square Garden for game five. How, how are you, my friend? How are you holding up? I feel wonderful. I am in a great positive mood. I'm very happy and normal. Something we've been talking about the last few episodes is the fact that we are now a true crime podcast. Um, we periodically talk about basketball. That's something that, you know, sometimes comes up in conversation, but lately, Ben, we've, um, we've, uh, the subject of our show has been our beloved 94 Knicks and how they have been tasked with, uh, restoring justice, restoring order in the world and the basketball universe, squaring off against the villainous Indiana Pacers. And Ben, let's face it. We, uh, we, we have talked about Jeff Scalf, about his ties to John Dillinger, the American crime gangster, active during the Great Depression, a man who was accused of robbing 24 banks and four police stations. We have talked about Larry Brown, uh, a man who traveled from university to university, NBA franchise to NBA franchise, you know, coaching various unknowing individuals into uh, a life of cannibalism and dark arts. Murdering and eating people. Yes. But Ben, let's face it, through the first four games of the 1994 Eastern Conference Finals, our investigation, our true crime investigation, has largely glossed over the nefarious, evil doings of a six foot seven shooting guard, Reginald Wayne Miller. Reggie. Miller with the four shots, somehow got it away, and he had two defenders right in his face. Miller for three. Yes! 
Miller, the ball fake. That is gorgeous. Oh, is he amazing. Reggie Miller with a step back move and is able to knock it down. What a shot. Ben, Reggie Miller is without a doubt the number one enemy, the mastermind of the Indiana Pacer criminal enterprise. And today, Ben, we are going to have a conversation about that individual and his effect on our lives. Um, So the floor is yours, Ben, but um, I just wanted to start us off and say things are going to get a little a little dark uh they've been getting a little dark on the, on this podcast but we are really now going to be rolling up our shirt sleeves here with the uh, the mafia don uh uh reggie miller the man who you know who tormented us then yeah yeah i'm um i'm in a an odd mood today, Chris. Um, I just, as, as we've been talking offline, I just wrapped up my uh, re-listen or my listen of our um, Game 3 episode, um, which, a little peek behind the curtain, we, we sort of release these. You know, we record them, obviously, a little bit in advance of our releasing of them. Um, so, um, yeah, I had the, the profound pleasure of uh, listening to that episode uh uh, mostly last night, um, and um, I'm you know this may have been um, this may have been foolhardy. This may have been uh, a, a bit of a mistake in hindsight. But I um, decided to listen to that episode uh, in bed at night, um, and in fact fell asleep to it. Um, and the the sort of alternate reality um, that that episode. Uh, you know, e- even in like a, a normal waking state, um, you know, the, the alternate reality that that placed placed me into um, then sort of bled into my dream, my head uh, space dream world. Um, so I'm a yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a slightly different person today, I would say, than I was yesterday. Um, and I think I'm in a really, really good place uh, to now break down uh, Game Five of this series. Obviously, we've we've talked about Game Four. Um, by the time you're listening to this, you'll probably have listened to that episode as well. Um, I don't even really remember what happened in Game Four. Um, I mostly um, just kind of hearing race cars in my head uh, all the time now. Um, that's just my new reality. Um, as I as I described to you earlier, I um, my experience listening to that episode in my bed at night with my eyes closed created this very surreal sensation and effect wherein um, I sort of my my consciousness became untethered from my physical body um, and I became uh, sort of like a uh, like an entity, like uh, uh, suspended in a in a in like a like a liquid substance almost, um, and that liquid substance uh, was the sound of the race cars. I don't know if that m- makes sense to almost you. Almost like you were a baby in utero and you were floating in this fluid exactly. of race car buzz. It was very much like a you know a pre-conscious pre-consciousness memory of being uh, a an unborn um, uh, uh, fetus in in a womb floating in uh, in, in the um, 
right in utero, um, but the womb was the race cars. Um, I've I've now been born uh, from that from that womb of race cars. Um, so yeah, I don't know what that makes me exactly. I'm not sure if I'm uh, a human being per se, um, but I am able to uh, continue talking. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, why don't we why don't we talk about game five? This is a, this is a fun game. Uh, this is an interesting fun fun game that we'll be able to break down here. Uh, so yeah, I say we get to it. All right, Ben. Um, the date is June first, nineteen ninety four. The Indiana Pacers have come back now to New York to play the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. This is game five of the nineteen ninety four Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, it's on NBC Sports with Marv Albert and Matt Gukas. The series, as I mentioned, is now tied two games to two. So obviously, you know, it's a best of seven series. And this is a really pivotal game here. You got to protect home court. Um, Opening thoughts here, Ben, just like you got to protect home court. You really have to win this game. And, uh, you know, every game obviously counts, but like you really, it's, it's vital here to take the advantage in the series, uh, game five back at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, absolutely critical point in the series. Um, I mean, talk about a sight for sore eyes. Our broadcast opens up on an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous nighttime helicopter shot. The Manhattan skyline, the Empire State Building. Uh, you know, burning brightly uh, through through the New York City night. Um, uh, Marv Albert's first words uh, on the telecast are... A beautiful night in Gotham on this first day of June. And this has certainly been a home court geared series. Will there be a breakthrough of the Knicks 8-0 at home in the playoffs? It just feels so good to be home after that. Uh, just harrowing, arduous experience, experience uh, of uh, of games three and four in Indianapolis. But we're back in New York. Yes. Uh, you know we have to we have to be feeling good. The Knicks have not lost a single playoff game yet uh, on their home court uh, in in the Garden. Um, you know this is a uh, it's now a best of three series. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's just a, it's just a great feeling to be to be back in the city, to be back in in Manhattan, uh, away from the just d- desperate, blasted wasteland of of Indiana, um, that sad, sad, pitiful place. Um, so uh, yeah, we're we're back. We're feeling good. Uh, we're feeling very strong here. I think one thing and, we've both learned about this series is the importance of home court. I mean, I'm sort of stating, oh, yeah. stating the obvious here, but. The Knicks looked just incredible in games one and two. They looked like themselves, and Indiana looked completely outmatched. And the home crowd at Madison Square Garden for games one and two, they were incredible. And then games three and four, the Knicks looked just pitiful. And as you have learned through revisiting the sound of the race cars, you know, Indiana Market Square Arena proved to be an incredible home court as well for for the Pacers. So it's really vital right. here that when you're when you are at home, you have to win that game. There is no yeah. excuse. You have to win that I game mean, because winning on the road at this point is seems like a near impossibility. Yeah, a- a- after the experience of games three and four, we all know full well we're not winning game six in, yeah. in Indianapolis. It's right. just not going to happen. Right. Uh, so if we don't want to uh, lose the series in six games, this, this is, is a must a, win. This is a must win game. Yeah. Um, and not only have had the Knicks not lost uh, at home that playoff year yet, 
Uh, but at, at various points in the broadcast, they note that Indiana had lost something like 11 games in a row at MSG and 31 of their previous right. 33 games at MSG going back to the year 1983. Insane. Um, so yeah, this was, this was a, a game that, you know, we had to be feeling confident about going into. We have a lot to discuss. So Ben, uh, I want to say let's try to move through the first half and the first three quarters of this game as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, first not... three quarters are not that eventful. There's a couple little things to touch on. Great. Um, let's call... But we can, we can definitely breeze through. Yeah, let's call those out and really focus on the fourth quarter. Uh, first thing, you know, just Starks comes out, hits a, hits a three off the screen. And Starks off the screen. Both feet beautifully behind the three-point line, Ben. Mm. Nicks out mm. to a 3-0. Uh, That's what we call a real three. Yep. And then uh, Starks gets on the board again, cutting into the paint for a layup. 5-2, Nick advantage. And things are just looking really good, I would say, Ben, just generally speaking at the top of the game. Yeah, very early defense chant from the crowd. The crowd is into it. They know how important this game is. The Knicks are feeling it. They're feeding off that energy. Yeah, they they really come out uh, firing, and their offense is clicking uh, very uncharacteristically. Um, They're just knocking down shots left and right. Yep. Uh, At one point, um, I mean, we can just kind of breeze through here. Uh, The Knicks jump out to a 15-2 lead um, with just under seven minutes left in the quarter. Um, I mean, there's just, you know, uh, Charles Smith is, is draining open Jays. Ewing is, is hitting some, some jumpers over yeah. Smith's, uh, Nick's defense, uh, you know, swarming, smothering Yep. with six fifty six to go. Indiana calls a timeout. The crowd is on their feet. They're roaring. It's 15 to two. It's looking like, wow, all right. Thank God. It is so good to be home. Totally. What a difference, uh, uh, you know, a few days makes. Quick couple of thoughts um, here, Ben, at the top. One is there, I, I know we keep kind of saying the same sort of thing, but there is almost like a Jekyll and Hyde quality to these teams when they're at home. And, you know, it, it, it became pretty clear to me early on the enthusiasm from the fans at Madison Square Garden is infectious because, Ben, like these guys at the top of the game here are playing with a swagger and a confidence in the early goings that just wasn't there when they were playing in Indiana. And it's yeah. like, it, it's it's almost like hard to fathom that this is the same group of guys that lost games three and four because they, they all of a sudden have confidence again. And specifically yeah. like, Charles Smith, man. Charles Smith had that filthy dunk in transition to put the Knicks up nine to two. Oh, with that little like hesitation move yeah. that he pulled? Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Smith with a hesitation bubble. And it was like, right. I wrote my notes. I was like, I honestly forgot that Charles Smith was even on this team. Like that Mm -hmm. is how absent he was from my memory in games. He was invisible. Yeah. In games three and four. And by the way, Charles Smith is not the only guy who I felt that towards, but it was just sort of this reminder. It was like, right. We actually have talented guys on this team, you know, and like the crowd going nuts, him all fired up. He's pumping his fist after that dunk. It's like, right, right, right. We're actually a really good team. We can do this. 
So yeah, yeah. like you said, the Knicks are up big, 15 to two. Larry Brown calls a timeout. Um, and it's just all cylinders firing, firing here in, in quarter one. Anything else you wanna you wanna mention here from quarter one, Ben? Um, let's see, moving along a little bit. Uh, sadly, sad, sad to note here, we do not have any commercials in this um, in this posting. I'll be honest uh, with you, Ben. I found it a little bit of a relief. refreshing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it to be a little bit. Uh, uh, here's my perspective on this. I had yeah. so much anxiety coming into this game. Without uh-huh. any memory of what happened in this game, all I knew was the series is tied two to two, and I just wanted to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. I yeah. knew we had to have this W, and I just wanted to get through the game as quickly as possible and know that we were leading the series three to two. And yeah. so when I saw that there weren't commercials, I was a little bit sad, but also frankly like. I, I didn't have time or the patience for these like mm-hmm. dalliances into like, y- y- you know, like, like specifically like the Miller genuine draft commercial, you know what I mean? Sure. Or, or yeah. full contact golf. Like yeah. there's, a, there's a time and a place for full contact golf. It's not during yeah. game five. Yeah, um, exactly. I think that's, that's, that's dead on accurate. Um, yeah, this was a gut wrenching, you know, white knuckle affair from start to finish. We knew it would be. So I, it was like, right. You, you were just like, like you said, I don't, I don't really have time to like kind of sit back and luxuriate and like kind of take this in as like an enjoyable, um, you know, sort of spectator experience. Like this is not enjoyable. No, um, this, this is, this not is a grind. You, like you don't crack a beer and watch this game. This is a no. game that you white knuckle. You're like, I need, like, I, I, I am, I, I'm on my life raft. I just need to know that we're getting back to shore safely. Like, I just yeah. need to know that we're going to get through this game with a W. Ben, I want to yep. point out an incredibly oh, yeah. <laughs> uncomfortable admission from Larry Brown. Yeah. An interview yep. segment with Larry Brown. Well, it was always my dream to play for the Knicks or be part of the Knicks. Uh, you know, Red Holtzman was a, a hero for me. Uh, I always knew I wanted to be a coach, and I admired the way he he dealt with people and how unselfishly his teams played. Um, so anytime I step onto the garden floor, I think of him. And uh, you know, I I look up and see those banners. Um, I wasn't a participant there, but I was a big fan of of the Knicks even when I was at other other places. So this is the biggest game for me in this building. You know, I've been here with Kansas, uh, been here with North Carolina and the Nets and other teams, but never in a position like this. And I don't, I don't take this moment lightly. Yeah. It was always, quote, it was always my dream to play for the Knicks or be part of the Knicks. Ben, does Larry Brown's outsider status, the fact that he could never get a spot on the Knicks roster, does that somehow explain some of his shadowy criminal behavior? The large suits, the glasses, he talks up wanting to play for Red Holtzman. Um, mm-hmm. seeing the banners hanging at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. I don't buy mm-hmm. any of Larry's flowery language about Red Holzman. This is a man, yeah. this man is a sociopath. He lacks empathy. He spells dog pound with one G, a nickname, by the way, that he stole from his opponent, the Knicks. Yeah. And, and he just simply cannot be trusted here. So I thought it was very interesting to see him try to convince the television audience that he, in fact, loved the Knicks, that he always wanted to be a Nick. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're not it's all, it's all it's all part of his backstory of, of being, you know, bullied and 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 pushed, uh, you know, as, as a as a young child. Um you know, to to a point of of you know breaking and becoming you know something inhuman. Um, 
and yeah this this whole this whole you know like you said story of of, of uh you know idolizing red holzman you know he said red holzman was a hero for me no i'm not definitely not buying no one's it. buying it um yeah. let's wrap up the first quarter here we have a uh, you know a ewing dunk a great lead pass up from starks this scores 28 to 12 there's under a minute left and we head into the second quarter. The score is 28 to 16. The Knicks with a commanding lead yeah. um, and just a commanding presence about them. I, I, you know, in summary, I said uh, the Knicks are off just to a scorching hot start, shooting the ball. And I had this sort of thing in the back of my head. I know you must have had it too, that like, this can't last. You know, like, like, mm, like we are not- a little too easy. Yeah, we are not. I mean, like, I, I'm super excited, but like, we're not this good. You know what I mean? No. Like, um, 28, 28 points in the first quarter was probably a, like a playoff record at that point right. uh, for, for the Knicks scoring uh, in one quarter. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, just an absolute like blistering offense. Totally, totally not who we are. Yeah, no, we uh, are not like the Mike D'Antoni's sons. You know, like this is, uh, we, are, we are not this team. But yeah, through, yeah. through one but quarter. But the fact is their, their defense is playing amazingly as well, which definitely. is why the Pacers were only able to put up 16. Yep. So you're feeling good. You know, you're like, all right, our, our scoring is not going to keep up at this pace, but the defense is consistent. 11 that's field the important goals. thing that's yeah. what's going to get us to the finish line yeah 11 field goals 10 assists for the knicks through one quarter um mm-hmm. all right ben we come back in quarter two here at the very top ben we need to talk about billy crystal billy i know this has to be a difficult evening for you tonight it is you know i'm a huge knicks fan grew up loving the knicks but i also grew up with larry brown we're from the same hometown my older brother played in a high school basketball team with him and then he was a Clipper coach for a couple of years, you know, so my heart's in two places, but I'm a big Knicks fan. So I guess that even after telling me that, you are still cheering for the Knicks. Yeah, I'm cheering for the Knicks. My heart's for the Knicks, but I got at least a ventricle for Larry. All right, thanks for joining me, man. All right, back to you, Mark. Okay. Yeah, we get a Billy Crystal interview in the in the stands with Ahmad. Ahmad. Tell us, tell us how this made you feel, Chris. Ben, I'm sorry, but... Billy Crystal's like claim to fame is that he is the number one Clippers fan in all of basketball. I'm sorry, Billy, you can't have it both ways. He says, quote, I'm a huge Knicks fan, but I'm also a huge Larry Brown fan. Excuse me? Ben, how the hell does that work? What is this guy's deal? I'm sorry. I mean, I'll tell you how it works, Chris. It it works like this. Larry Brown has kidnapped Billy Crystal's children. He is holding them in his basement and he is clearly blackmailing Billy into saying these words. It doesn't make there's nothing there's no other explanation that makes any sense. Ben, I know this guy is an actor, but you know, Billy Crystal, this is his finest performance. I mean, I don't I don't understand I don't understand Ben like how one can pledge their allegiance both to Donald Donald Sterling's Clippers, you know. This, I mean, his whole identity is like he is literally the only celebrity Clipper fan right. that exists. Like Mr. Clipper, basically. The Clippers. You yeah. were always a Clipper fan. Yeah, 20-something years now. And finally, we're good, Larry. We're really good. How did you become a Clipper fan? <laughs> I, I had Laker tickets for a while. They were, they were great, but there was, like, no challenge, <laughs> you know? And then... Uh, a friend of mine called and said, come on, you want to go see the Clippers play? And I said, oh, all right. It was at the lowly sports arena, the old arena at the, on the campus of SC there. And um, there was nobody there. I mean, it was a, a triple-double meant there were three couples in the audience. <laughs> they were the San Diego Clippers. Yeah, yeah. and um, 
we just sort of liked the minor league feeling of it in the best way. There was like, um, we weren't good, but they played hard, and the fans were very loyal. And I somehow liked that. And um, Donald Sterling <laughs> would come, he'd come up to me, and I didn't even know him. Um, he calls me around Christmas time. I hadn't met him yet, and I'd been sitting there for a couple of years already. He said, listen, I just, uh, I have a chance to get uh, uh, a player from the, uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas I could get for Danny Manning. Should I make this trade? <laughs> what are you calling me He does for? that on the street. I know, he asked, what do you think I should do? Are they any good? But I, I like him very much. But I, I like him very much. But I, I like him very much. And, and Came up to me the other team. day, I swear to God, and said to me, would you sign Chris Paul? Would you reset? Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, sign I was, him now. I would sign him now. But then, you know, when it's convenient, he calls up his New York roots that, you know, he's from New York. So you know, now that it's politically convenient to be on TV with a Knicks hat, sure. he'll do that. Now that the Knicks have a hot team, they're they're making a playoff run. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm an MSG celeb now. Sure, sure, sure. But wait, it gets even better, Ben. Apparently, what, he went to school with Larry with Larry Brown on Long Island growing up? Like, give me a break, man. This is like yeah. such bull, such bull. Um, <laughs> I'm moving past it. I'm just, I, Billy Crystal, you're, you're done to me. I am not seeing dead. city slickers Absolutely too. Dead. I'm not yeah, city seeing slickers too. You will not be getting my Curly's money. gold. I'm sorry. I won't be seeing it. Um, anyway, more like Curly's fool's gold. Yep. Patrick hits a jumper. Now it is 30 to 16. We have a Greg Anthony steal. Greg Anthony who just came on, came up with the steal and here is yours. Passes ahead for a Ewing dunk, 32-16. Mm-hmm. And I, I I am still reeling from this Billy Crystal thing, Ben, but we're trying to move forward. Um, sure. But Nick's with a commanding 32-16 lead. You heard that correct. There's 11-20 left in the second quarter. Anything that uh, anything memorable you want to mention here in the second, Ben? I mean, yeah, not a lot here. You know, we get some more trading baskets. Sherb Williams comes in and, and is uh, effective, gets a couple of yeah. block shots. Um, Anthony Mason's teed up. Marv mentions he has a problem with, uh, with technical fouls. That's right. Now, the Knicks reserves are in at this point, um, and they've kind of gone cold now. The Knicks have uh, missed five shots in a row, which, again, we, we all expected. We knew that that, that hot shooting was not going to last. Right. Um, so uh, Pacers are clawing back. Reggie Miller, now being guarded by Hubert Davis. Reggie Miller, nice move. He got the roll, and the Knicks now lead 33. Miller uh, takes uh, Hubert Davis baseline and bounces one in. It's 24-33 with 6.30 left in the second now. Um, Charles Smith answers. We get a couple more, you know, trading buckets, blah, blah, blah. Oh, one thing to mention is that the uh, Pacers are uh, not not shooting well from the foul line in this game. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, Anthony Davis uh, missing a couple. Dale Davis um, missing. At one point, the Pacers start the game 0 of 7 from the free throw line. Um, I mean, it's, which, it's, uh, it's a mirror image. Like I said, it's the Jekyll and Hyde thing. This this was yeah. the Knicks in game three, right? Or or, yeah. or or in game four, whichever it was where they couldn't hit a shot. They, they are yeah. literally doing their best impression of the Knicks. John Starks uh, swishes a... A three-pointer, which is like his second or third of the game. Starks for three again. John Starks is a straight shooter. And 
is in the midst of one right here. The Knicks lead by 11. Just under two minutes to go. Uh, John Starks is a streak shooter, and he is in the midst of one here. Uh, yeah, Marv says that. Knicks are up 30-41. to 41. Uh, There's an illegal defense, which sends Reggie Miller to the line for a technical, and the uh, we get a Marv, uh, a trademark Marv. To John Starks. Well, Reggie Miller getting the treatment from the crowd, as he usually does here at Madison Square Garden. Reggie Miller getting the treatment getting the from treatment. the crowd. Yeah. Getting the treatment. Such a good um, of course, we have the uh, the patented MSG asshole asshole chant for nine at the line. Knicks lead by ten as we come up on one minute remaining in this first half. Less than a minute here as Reggie takes the uh, the uh, foul line to to uh, hit a shot. Yeah, another great Marv moment that I noted is uh, at one point. Um, Let's see. Uh, Derek Harper's penetrating. He gets rejected by Antonio Davis. Um, or no, no, sorry. He gets rejected. Antonio Davis can't pull down an alley oop pass, um, and uh, Knicks have it. And it looks like it looks like a fast break, but Starks loses it out of bounds along the sidelines, uh, just as everyone's uh, starting the break. And uh, John Starks uh, reacts, uh, you know, very emotionally by kicking the um, the NBA on NBC uh, billboard <laughs> yes. on the, uh, along yeah. the, the sideline. And Marv notes, John Starks upset. And uh, we don't take that personally, Matt. He did kick the NBA on NBC sign, but we know there was nothing personal involved. John Starks upset, and we don't take that personally, Matt. He did kick the NBA on NBC sign, but we know there was nothing personal involved. So good. Uh, I just love, I just love those those deadpan comments from from Marv. Uh, just just the goat. Um, yeah, let's see here. Moving along. Yeah, not much else. Uh, oh, the Pacers finally hit their first free throw after Antonio Davis bounces one in. Amazing. They're now one of ten. Yeah, one of ten from yeah. the line in the first half. You know, probably helps explain their extremely low scoring. Um, we're at halftime here with the score. Knicks up 43 to 35. That is a beautiful, beautiful halftime score. My thought on the quarter and the half generally is like, you know, and I, and I kind of felt this way about the Knicks in the last game when they were playing at Market Square. The Pacers are kind of hanging around. I mean, the Knicks mm-hmm. lead has definitely dwindled. Um, the Knicks still have a commanding lead, but you know it's it's kind of dwindled. And the Pacers have been abysmal from the line. I mean, they cannot expect to win on the road shooting this poorly from the line. No, it's um, impossible. If you're one of ten from the free throw line, like you just can't. It's you just can't not going to happen. Yeah, Patrick yeah. is six for ten for fifteen points. Starks is four for eight for eleven points at the half. Um, but one thing I did note is just like there is this kind of like weird energy where like the Pacers are. They're not winning. They're actually playing pretty poorly. But the fact is that they're still hanging around. And Reggie, I did note, like, Reggie has hit at this point a couple of shots. He had a floater. He hit a three. Um, So, you know, like, we're always very, you know, cautious of who we're playing. And we're aware that, like, anything is possible. The Knicks look good. This is definitely how this game, you want this game to be headed in this direction. But, you know, the Pacers are hanging around. And well, as we know from experience, like the Knicks didn't win in blowouts. They just didn't right. do that. They exactly. didn't. They never. They never 
just like rolled over they on never, a team. Like they a never team. made it easy. Um, they never made it easy no. from them for themselves. There was never a wire to wire victory, right? Um, and they were like, always going to give. Our, they were always going to give their opponent like an opportunity to get back in the game. So even oh, yeah. with the Pacers playing poorly here, you're just still kind of aware. This is like you know. Let's face it, this is like a must-win game for both of these teams. So there is no certainty. Um, but we're feeling good at the half. You said what was what did you say the the score was? 43 to 34, I think, right? 43-35. So you're sort of like 43, that's like an average, you know, Knicks halftime right. score. What you sort of forget is that because of that massive uh, scoring in the first quarter, the Knicks only scored 15 points in the second quarter. Right. Um, which is a a a troubling sign. Um but yeah, you're, you know, you're going into the second half thinking, okay, you know, it's only going to get easier from here. Uh, we all know the Knicks, uh, you know, own the fourth quarter, uh, as we all know from, from experience. Right. So all we have to do is get through, uh, you know, this third quarter with like even like a small lead and we should be fine for the home stretch. Right. Uh, you know, no, no, no real worries. Yeah. Reggie Miller's had a couple of shots at this point, but he's been pretty quiet. Rick Smith has been invisible. He's been in foul trouble, hasn't gotten anything going. So the Pacers, you know, like like same story as games one and two. Like they just don't have that much firepower. We should be in pretty good shape. All right, so let's start with quarter three here, Ben. Charles Smith getting the good room down low. That's been the story right for the while. He now has ten points. Charles Smith starting us off with a really powerful move down low to open up quarter three, 45-35, Knicks up by 10. Um, and again, you know, we're just, we're, we're cooking here. Rick Smith's responds on, on the other end, 45-37, Knicks up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shortly after that, um, Smith again, aggressive. Charles Smith, that is, aggressive inside, draws another foul on Rick Smith's. That's number four. Smith fall for that foul, and that is his fourth. So he goes to the bench with just uh, a minute and a half into the third. That feels um, big. I mean, that 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 is yeah. a major piece for them who is now forced to the bench. I mean, he's basically their one of only two offensive weapons they have. Right. Um, so with him neutralized, you're kind of like, okay, there's only so much this team can do uh, offensively without him. Um, so we got to be feeling good. You know, John Starks has really been bottled up, uh, ha- has been, sorry, bottling up uh, Reggie all game. Uh, Starks is really having a strong, strong game. Um, let's see. Moving on at one point here with about 845 to go in the quarter, Dale Davis goes to the line, misses two more free throws, which makes him 0 of 6 on the game. And Indiana as a team at this point is 3 of 15 from the free throw line. 3 of 15. That's not a uh, a, mis- a, uh, a misstatement. Insane. 3 of 15 like from the line. You can't win on the road in a must-win playoff game playing the New yeah. York Knicks, shooting 3 for 15 from the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shortly thereafter, uh, Miller uh, shoots a 3, misses. And I'm just thinking, all right, no problem. You know, yep. uh, no, no worries here. Uh, you know, Reggie hasn't really gotten anything going. Um, uh, a little bit later on, he puts a move on John Starks, pulls the baseline for a jumper, another clank. Uh, Miller's now four of 11, uh, from the field. Right. And I just, uh, don't have a care in the world at this point. I am, uh, feeling good, feeling, feeling easy breezy. Sorry. Was that a race car in the background, Chris? <laughs> that was, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. That, there appears to be a, <laughs> a muscle car driving oh very quickly. <laughs> oh, Jesus. If that wasn't okay, a there. Uh, prophecy, I don't know what was. <laughs> Was that yeah. not that was not a sound drop? That was a no. a real that race was a car. Real uh, race car. Yeah, yeah. Okay, not at all foreboding yep. in any way. Yep. 
Um, yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, I have in my notes, we're about halfway through here the th- in the third. Knicks are up 57 to 43. They're up 14 points. Uh, okay. And I just have here, Knicks look totally in control. Yep. Starks has Miller totally bottled up. He's playing one of his best games of the playoffs. I'm feeling good. Feeling real good. We have an asshole chant as Reggie grabs uh, John Starks for a foul. frustrated with the way that John Starks has played him and it not has not been a talking type of thing he's just played him very well and made him work for everything and Reggie Miller just caught with a little bit of a grab on John Starks John and Starks is been- Reggie hits a 3 57 mm-hmm. to 46 Pacers within striking distance. Yeah, that was Indiana's first three of the game uh, at that point, Jeez, which is pretty crazy. Imagine that. Hayward Workman drills one 57 48. Uh, Knicks are still up by nine points at this point. There is four mm-hmm. 58 left in the third. Derek Harper. Drills a three. Look at that. A corner three for yeah. Derek. Yeah. Uh, 60 to 48. The Knicks are up. Under five minutes left. Now, Marv in, uh, revisits the Reggie punching the computer printer in game two at Madison Square yes. Garden. Game two of this series last Thursday night here in New York. Reggie Miller showing his frustration, stepped out of bounds after stealing the ball, took it out on a computer printer at the official scorer's table. We asked Reggie about his outburst leading to his throwing a punch at that uh, courtside statistical printer. I know I was going to go out there and shoot around and look for it. <laughs> but I guess they put it in the back, so I feel kind of bad about it. But, you know, it's part of the game, so <laughs> I'm sorry. We said literally it was a technical foul. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Mark. Thank you. Very I much. like that. <laughs> well, the guys at the official scorer's table not taking any chances. That's the one that was uh, broken just in case they have two courtside statistical printers should Reggie get upset and want to take a, a swipe at one once again. <laughs> Big moment here. We have an update on the Miller computer punch situation. Miller says in this interview, he goes, I feel kind of bad about it. I'm sorry. Uh, and Marv notes the scores table guys aren't taking any chances. They actually, Ben, have a backup printer in case Reggie right. gets out of hand once again here in game five. They have a dummy printer, which is there solely for Reggie to punch, should he feel the need to again. Uh, and then a second printer, uh, which will do the actual work uh, of, a, of a normal computer printer. Uh, one of the things I love about this uh, quick little uh, soundbite from Reggie is that he says, I feel okay, kind of bad, bad about it, but, but quote, it's part, part of the game. game. Uh, no, it's which not, I just, no, it's I just not. really love that. I mean, no, we all, we all know, Chris. We all, you know, l- learn that as kids growing up. You know, you got your fundamentals. You got your bank shot, you know, your, your crossover dribble, your two-hand chest pass, and your computer printer smash. Sure. Um, you know, that, that that's a move that we all learned at our, you know, at our rec... Um, <laughs> CYO. Rec leagues, yeah, <laughs> rec leagues growing up. Um, yeah, got to make sure that you uh, smash that printer real good uh, after you uh, after you make a basket. Yeah, Reggie, Reggie hits a jumper with about three minutes left. It's 61 to 50, and Starks responds. Starks, wide open. 
with his fourth three-pointer of the game. It is now mm. 64 to 52. The Knicks are yeah, up. Yeah, he gets wide open off a screen. Two minutes, 42 yep. seconds left. Uh, and that's, I mean, you know... <sighs> That's gonna that that storyline is gonna get a lost a little bit in in uh, the the memory of this game, the narrative of this game. But John Starks actually offensively was playing really well here. Ben, um, he honestly probably had his best game of the entire playoffs yeah, up to this point, right? Um, because he had been, uh, you know, as we've noted, um, he'd been playing, you know, really only at about sixty five seventy percent right. with that, um, you know, injured. In, injured knee um but this was the first game where he was actually like knocking down his threes um you know playing his usual awesome defense uh not giving miller you know an, an inch on the other on the other end um and yeah he was looking great something that made me laugh is uh at one point towards the end of the third quarter here patrick is on the line and the cameras pan past john thompson and dikembe mutombo watching watching the game just like having a chuckle and i was mm-hmm. like oh wow you guys are just you guys are just really enjoying yourselves. Like it's just everything is just coming up roses here for for the Knicks, for the Georgetown Hoyas, and the Knicks are up sixty six to fifty two. Um, Antonio Davis connects, makes it sixty six fifty six with one forty left in the third. Mm-hmm. See Oakley fouled in the paint. Larry Brown gets teed up. Herb Williams connects, and you know Ben, we are arriving here at the fourth quarter with the Knicks up. 70 to 58 a commanding 12 point lead yeah i mean just my general thoughts is charles smith has been great you know mm-hmm. i i like i said before i forgot that he was even on this team after those last two games at market square and the knicks look really solid but i do have this weird feeling like i have very little faith that this game is under wraps headed into the fourth year even with the knicks leading by 12 there's something about it where i'm like I don't know. I don't totally trust this team. The Pacers are still going to make it interesting. I, I'm just not sure how it's going to go. I don't know, Chris. I, th- I think I think you're wrong. I think it's going to be a pretty easy fourth. I mean, we all know, you know, how how the Knicks' defense ratchets up in the fourth quarter. I mean, if they've if they've held Indiana to 58 points through the first three, and then they, you know, they they flip that switch and they really uh, turn it on for the fourth. Um, you know, the, the crowd is going to be into it. They're going to be, uh, you know, feeding feeding the energy. Uh, I mean, a 12-point lead, that seems practically insurmountable against this defense uh, at home, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I'm ready to, uh, to just kind of sit back and enjoy this one. All right, Ben, let, so. let's do it. Let's talk about the fourth. So here we are, Ben. Um, the first thing I know... Reggie Miller mm-hmm. connects on a three. And Matt Gukas yeah. says... Reggie's starting to chirp a little with some people on the front row, not at John Stark. Reggie starting to chirp with some of the people in the first row. Yes. That is the first mention that anything unusual or out of the ordinary is going on. That is exactly the point. Yeah, Gukas, that, that's the first mention of uh, of Reggie communicating you know, doing it, doing com- communicating with anyone in the stands, not with a not with an opposing player. Um, yeah, he has 17 points at this point. Uh, Miller does. Yeah, starts off the fourth. Yeah, Pacers still down nine after that three. It's 61 to 70. Ben and literally on the next play on a on a defensive possession for the Pacers here, Vern Fleming gets hit. Checking him out. 
Of course, Vern Fleming has had some tough injuries this year, none tougher than when Shaquille O'Neal fell on top of him, and he lost 15 teeth as they went through his lower lip and also took a gash on his knee uh, for, for 12 big stitches as Charles Oakley's follow-through. Vern Fleming once oh, lost God. 15 oh, God. teeth when yeah, Shaq yeah. fell on him? That was so fucking horrifying. Yeah, he gets like sl- slammed in the face by Oakley, like on in like the face and throat. Like it looks like he like can't breathe at, at one point. Yeah, um, yeah, and and Gugas notes that he's had a couple of tough injuries earlier that season, namely when Shaquille O'Neal fell on top of him. Of course, this is seven foot one, three hundred and twenty pounds. Shaquille O'Neal fell on him. Losing, causing Vern Fleming to lose 15 teeth when, according to Gukas, several of his teeth went through his lip. Do you remember that part? <sighs> I, I sort of blocked some of this stuff out. But... Yeah, no, like, yeah, it, it was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really, really graphic for a NBC broadcast. Um, I mean, I was 15, like, Jesus, Gukas. dude, is a lot of teeth. Like, yeah, you have. I don't know I mean, if you've you ever like, chipped a tooth or anything. I've chipped a tooth before. It's so unpleasant and painful. But 15 losing is over half your teeth. <laughs> losing 15 teeth is an insane really, thing. Yeah, that really. I mean, I almost want to like fact check that. I didn't have time to, but like you have, you know, your your top, you know, your sort of front row of teeth, like the, the sort of like front line of teeth that would be hit if like something like, you know, hit your face. You've got like four on top, four on the bottom. That's eight. So where are the other seven teeth? Like, are they all on like one side? Like, yeah, fifteen is way too many teeth to be losing in like a uh, like a freak injury. It's a lot of teeth. Um, yeah, my God. Yeah, chilling. Seventy-two, chilling seventy-two, sixty-one. The Knicks are up by eleven points. Rick Smiths. Rick Smiths. Call for the foul. His fifth. Gets called for his fifth foul. Oh wow. His fifth. Right. 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 Um. And you're kind of like, wow, all right, that's a good sign. Yeah, Nick's, Nick's still up 11, 10 minutes, 50 seconds left. Um, after Oakley hits a couple of free throws, uh, Smith's with five, and you're like, okay, all right. This, this feels is, this is... in command. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now Smith's is on the bench wearing his warm-up jacket. All right, Mark Vern Fleming, as you just uh, called it, took a shot to the throat, and he is now they're applying the cure-all ice to it. And he appears to be fine, and he will be able to come back into the game. Reggie Miller is fine. Once again, hits from downtown. He has 20 points. Reggie Miller hitting a three to make it 72 yeah. to 64. There is 10 minutes and 26, 20, 10 minutes and 26 seconds left. That's right. Let's now talk at this point, about the shot. Yeah. Yeah. Hubert Davis is guarding him. Starks is on the bench to start the fourth. Obviously, Hubert Davis, not the defender that John Starks is. Um, and part of me was like, I mean, you know, obviously, listen, you can't play a guy 48 minutes, uh, especially when his main job is to chase Reggie Miller around, like, you know, screens set by Dale Davis and LaSalle Thompson. Uh, so, you know, at, at some point, Starks needed to get a rest, but I was just like, fuck, like, this was a bad time for him to be on the bench and for Hubert Davis to be tasked with stopping reggie miller i mean it's just one of those classic reggie shots right where there's a hard screen his -hmm. defender just gives him a little bit of space and it's enough room for him he has such a quick release and he's really tall man like he's really big and lanky he's got these long arms his release point is so high if you give the if you give him any daylight he's gonna have a clear look and the thing about reggie is like 
he had that extra gear of where like if you got the fire going beneath him he played better he played better when he was angry he had the jordan thing or the oh, yeah. or the yep. the kobe thing where it was like the idea is don't get under his skin because yeah when he had something to prove and he knew like the sort of everyone was like watching and like seeing like what he was doing, like that, that's what, what gave him the fuel. That's the lesson with like guys like Reggie Miller, I think is that like, let sleeping dogs lie. Basically. Don't kick the hornet's nest. No, Yeah. Like he, these are certain athletes need motivation. Like even if it's like fabricated motivation to play Mm -hmm. better. And he was one of those guys. So this whole thing that we're going to document in detail about a fan (laughs) in the crowd for the Knicks, it could have been avoided if people just like shut up and realize like this guy literally is looking for anything to, to light a mm-hmm. fire under his ass. Mm-hmm. So Reggie hits a three here. It's, it's a, it's another three. So the score is 72 to 64. There's 10, 26 left. And then I have been a, uh, a Kenny Williams bucket. Here's Williams. Kenny Williams with a nice move. And the Pacers on the roll. Now the score is 72 to 66 with 925 left. Timeout. Right. Although, yeah, right before that, uh, the Knicks have the ball after an Indiana miss, but they turn it over. Establishing position, but Thompson saw the pass coming and he does it again. Well, they're telling the graph to passes and they are bounce passes and very slow. And Thompson, who's not the fleetest of foot, is able to get a hand and knock him loose. Let me see if I have this right. I think that was uh, the first time that LaSalle Thompson intercepted an yes. entry pass, which would They were trying uh, to get the ball inside a... to Oakley, I think, and LaSalle Thompson yeah. jumped in front of it. Yep. Yeah, so that was a turnover, and you're like, okay, whatever, like that happens, yep. not a big deal. Knicks are still up six at this point, uh, but of course the lead was one sixteen, uh, you know, or back in back in the third quarter. Um, so yeah, Pacers clawing back, and you know, we're we're starting to sweat a little bit here. I would say. So there's a timeout by the Knicks, and we return from the timeout with another classic band, Miller Genuine Moment. Miller Genuine Draft presents Genuine Moments. Today's Miller Moment takes a look at recent eventful Game 5s for the Knicks last year's conference finals. Dixon Bulls tied two games to beast. Charles Smith with four chances to give the Knicks a one-point lead with time running out, but Smith was stopped and the Bulls eliminated the Knicks in six games. And then the Knicks and the Bulls, Game 5 of this year's conference semifinals. The Knicks down by one. Hubert Davis missed the shot, but a foul called on Scotty Pippen with... Uh, just 2.1 seconds left. Davis hitting both free throws. The Knicks won at 87-86. Finished off the Bulls in seven games. All right. Can we talk about these Miller genuine draft, genuine moments? Sure. They're, like, it was this one in particular that really made me, like, kind of convince me, like, okay, this is the time when we have to talk about this. There was something about, um, like, the music uh, where it was, it was, like, I, I like feel I get this like weird uh, like kind of like react like Pavlovian response when I hear this music and at first I'm like oh no it's cool like it's like a fun exciting moment from NBA history but <laughs> for some reason when I heard it this time it gave me this like weird sense of anxiety and yep. dread um, and I feel like every time they were playing these Miller genuine draft genuine moments when we were kids it was like you know Marv would be narrating 
the the pulse pounding like exciting you know tense music um and it seemed like every single time it was like a replay of something awful that had happened to the Knicks or alternatively, maybe not, maybe it was just something awesome that happened, but that the Knicks were not involved in. So it was like some other, you know, great moment of like some other player scoring a game winning shot or something like that. But it was like, it either made me feel extremely like depressed and sad or just like envious. Um, Yes. I will say there was a unconscious, well, now it's a conscious sense of dread that I felt. Yeah. When yeah. when that music, which I'm having a hard time <laughs> describing, which will just drop in, came yeah. came into the broadcast. But Ben, like, I think part of let's be real, part of the dread that we felt, part of the unconscious un- unconscious sense of discomfort that we felt, is this was a Miller. This was a Miller moment. Oh God. I never even thought about that. Ben, this was a Miller (laughs) moment. This was a genuine Miller moment. And guess what? Reggie. Reggie Miller with a cold-blooded three. I don't have great associations with that word Miller. No, can't say I do. It just also so happens. Now, this genuine Miller draft moment... Uh, the theme of this one, if I remember correctly, is um, classic. It, it was like classic game fives, wasn't it? Recent, recent eventful, eventful, eventful. game fives for the New York Knicks. Which is, uh, which, let's, now, be, let's be real. That's another way of saying embarrassing game fives. Disastrous, disastrous game fives for the New York Knicks. Now, of course, they did show the previous series as game five which miraculously did not end disastrously for the Knicks. That was, of course, the Scottie Pippen foul but, on but, Hubert Davis. Come on, but, the, so, but, but like underneath that game five is the infamous blown call, right? Isn't, yes. isn't that what that really is about? Is, You're right. That wasn't like a triumphant moment for the Knicks. It was like it was, a controversial, exactly. infamous, like bad call that <laughs> the, the Knicks just happened to benefit from. The way it's framed is... Remember the time when the Knicks got this fucking bogus call? It, yeah. It, it wasn't... It, when, they, it, when they eked out a victory they didn't deserve? It wasn't framed as like, remember the time when the Knicks like vanquished the dragon Chicago Bulls? No. It no. was, remember the time when the Knicks got this batshit call from the refs and got to advance? And yeah. then they show us Ben, you know, and and this is this is this is the mainstream media here showing us once again the drudging up the 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 failures the yeah. failures of of Charles Smith against the Chicago Bulls. Listen, the fucking corporate media, yes. like who, who, who Go the powers off. the be that, 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 that pull those strings that control these people. Uh, you know, it's like they're contractually obligated every single game to remind us yes. that in 1993, Game Five, Bulls versus Knicks at the Garden, Charles Smith. Blue four straight point blank layups, like uh, you know the shot that like any ten year old can hit in his driveway. But no, Charles Smith couldn't make a simple one foot layup underneath the basket four times in a row. It's like it's and the Knicks lost to the Bulls and in yeah. It's like it's their like corporate responsibility to shame this man Mm. who was the um who was like the the unfortunate recipient of like incredible defense played by mm-hmm. the Chicago Bulls. And yeah. they have like bludgeoned this guy 
into you know into into being this like this goat this 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 fall man you know and it's, i mean it's probably the play that during our childhood uh in you know at least like the seasons from like 1993 to like 90 like six was probably like the single play that was replayed the most frequently on broadcast television that we like that we like consumed it is like i yeah. honestly think like obviously this was like a time before like you could watch highlights unless they were on your television so when we were you know watching basketball we were completely at the mercy of whoever was playing the replays of past moments this was literally the the, the single lone play that was probably like ground into my like seared onto my brain more than any other play in nba history the charles smith play yeah, it's probably no, it's definitely without a doubt the play that I uh I most misremember. Um mm-hmm. you know, it's it's the it's it's the play, it's the incident from my childhood as a sports fan that I most misremember. Mm-hmm. And I feel sad about that. The way that like and- we were brainwashed into blaming and like shaming this guy who did not deserve that at all in the same way that i feel like the chicago cubs fans blamed that fan bartman that like reached over the wall oh, yeah. and caught like mm-hmm. the the pop fly that was like going mm-hmm. like uh out of bounds in yep. in, in that uh infamous um playoff in the Yankees game. game yeah yep. no in the uh in the cubs marlins playoff game oh that's right that's right i'm thinking of the other one yeah yeah in the same way that like i totally misremember placing all of this like unfair blame on this like mm-hmm. innocent person that would just like happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time i feel the same yeah, way about how, charles smith man yeah and how richly ironic is it that they that they dub this a genuine moment uh when in fact you know the, the way it's framed the way it is presented by the corporate media completely disingenuous completely uh you know false and misleading um yep. You know, uh, all I can say, folks, is uh, don't trust the media. Uh, certainly not uh, NBC uh, and, and and their ilk. Um, uh, they they cannot be trusted. Um, they are uh, they are fake fake news. Charles Smith, if you are listening, we want to let you know, Charles Smith, that it is not your fault. Um, no, much like Matt Damon, much like uh, Drew Latham in Surviving Christmas, Charles, it is not your fault. Uh, we forgive you. Charles, I forgive you. I forgive you, Charles. And Nick's fandom, uh, Nick's nation forgives you, Charles. Um, we all forgive you. Ben, let's move on here into the belly of the beast, into the fourth oh, quarter God. here. Um, it feels like we've been putting something off. Yeah. With that little digression. Coming, coming back from the break, following the Miller genuine moment, we have a Nick's five-second violation on an inbounds pass, which is like totally like... Right. Like... like uh, flummoxing like uh, anthony mace is just trying to like inbound it along the baseline it wasn't like a sideline play i mean indiana was pressing full court and it's like he just kind of ran out of time um anyway that was a dumb play uh which gives the ball back to indiana um miller misses a fading three along the sideline but it's kept alive by dale davis Shoulders. He keeps looking over to that sideline, and as 
a comment after every time he makes a field goal. And now Miller is glaring, glaring directly at the first row as he jogs back down court. Yeah, um, and, and, and the NBC cameras do a really good job here of catching Reggie when he's running back in transition. And yeah. it's very clear, like, where his eyes are and where his attention is. And it's on somebody in the crowd. Um, yeah. And he's, like, very Definitely. obviously, like, screaming. Like, the cameras catch him in a screaming match with someone off camera seated in the first row along the baseline for the Knicks. Yeah. So the score is now 72, it's 72 to 68 with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. And it's very clear right. at this point where it's like, okay, yeah, this is what I was talking about. Like the Pacers are going to make a run. We knew they were going to make a run. Uh, it does seem like Reggie is extra pissed off. And it does seem like this is going to be the game where he plays a spectacular game and we just have to ride out the storm like we just we just have to be better than him so we're still not mentioning anyone by name no but this is now two or three times that uh that Gukas has remarked on the broadcast that miller is looking to the sideline um and and uh you know is is engaged in something something extracurricular something off the court um so the next possession coming down there's about nine minutes and six seconds left 72 we have a really critical turnover here a simple entry pass from hubert davis to patrick ewing a yep. play that you know they do i don't know 20 times a game and i think without any incident yeah ben i think the body language with patrick here tells not a, great a big story so mm-hmm. like you said simple entry pass I don't even know who to blame here, it, whether it's the... It wasn't a great... Uh, Hubert kind of threw it at, his, at, at Ewing's feet. He, uh, poor pass, poor, but still, poor job you gotta, of like I mean, gathering the ball. Probably, yeah, you got to haul that in. Probably, it's not that hard. Yeah, blame at both ends. Yeah. Ball goes out of bounds, and Patrick kind of punches his arms down, kind of the way you do when you like lose a kickball. And yeah, he's extremely frustrated. In that moment, Ben, I knew... Oh, this is bad. I I, yeah. I I wasn't ready to be like, oh, we've lost the game. But I mean, Knicks are still up four. You know, Knicks, it seems like Knicks are still okay. up four. But I was like, yeah. ooh, I don't like seeing my team who's winning acting outwardly like that. Even if I'm yeah. feeling that way, see, because there's yeah. a difference, Ben. <laughs> between the way a fan feels and the way a fan mm-hmm. reacts and the mm-hmm. way a fan internalizes dread and fear mm-hmm. um, watching from their couch at home or, God forbid, watching courtside at the mm-hmm. game itself versus mm-hmm. the way an athlete needs to behave. And, right. and in that moment, I, was, I, I knew something was awry. Yeah, because it turns out that the athlete's reaction and and sort of body language composure yeah actually affects the game that's actually important that's actually a part of of the athlete's job and 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 performance is is the you know is is the way they carry themselves and importantly i think like the opposing team starts picking up on that right They, they they start sensing that there's like the cracks there's the cracks in the armor 
right? Like the facade that's like, maybe they're not indestructible after all. At this point, Indiana is on a 10-2 run now, Ben. There's under nine minutes left. They're trailing by four. Reggie comes off a screen, catches it in the corner. So here's the thing about this yeah. play. I don't know if you're if you're right there and you're able to kind of like yep, rewind and, yep, and replay. Yep, 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 yep. He comes off this baseline, like this pin down screen, and there's just he is he's in the corner and he's open for what feels like 20 seconds because I mean who is, the who is cluster him, the, like like there was the no cluster of bodies. Him. Well, I'll tell you why. Here's exactly what happens. It feels like there's a cluster of bodies in the paint Jesus. under the hoop where it's just like a black hole. Like whoever like enters just like does not leave. And what actually happens when I, because I watched this play, I don't know, five, 10, maybe 15 times. Freeze framed on on the exact moment you're going to talk about. So what happens is Anthony Mason, who is being bodied by like Dale Davis, I don't know, LaSalle Thompson, like three different guys, it feels like. He's trying to, to position himself and box out for a potential rebound. And he throws an arm out. And literally clotheslines lines. John Starks. I am freeze-framed on Anthony Mason clotheslining John Starks. Who is he like, has his back to Starks, so he doesn't realize he's there. And Mason thinks that he's putting his arm up to box out a pacer, a, an Indiana yeah, pacer. Yeah. But instead, he clotheslines Starks in the throat, which frees up Miller for an eternity in the corner. I mean, this is so a wide-open time shot. to just... Collect the ball, swish a three. Yeah, it's a wide um, open shot, man. There is no one yeah. literally, like literally, there is no one even near him. There, I would say the closest person is 15 feet away. Yeah. Um, now, of course, what's ironic about this is that Reggie's foot was on, on the, the line. line. Um, even with 30 seconds to collect the ball, position himself, and take the shot, he still uh, had his foot on the line. Um, but as we'll find out... Um, they, so this is the shot we had where, wait, is this the one? No, actually, never mind. There's literally a later, a later shot, another foot on the line, uh, to where, uh, Marfs calls it a three and then right. he like retracts it and yes. it's like, no, actually they awarded him, uh, a two, uh, two. Right. And then, they, and then it like goes back to three. Anyway, uh, no, this is the play. Yeah. Miller, um, uh, yeah, makes it, it's a foot on the line two, Um, and at this point. We have the very first mention by name. And Reggie Miller in an animated discussion with Spike Lee, who is an ardent Nick fan and has a courtside seat. I think Spike has him revved up. Spike Lee. Spike Lee. Marv says, and Reggie Miller in an animated discussion with Spike Lee, who is an ardent Nick fan and has a courtside seat. Spike has him, quote, revved up. Yeah. It's incredible, man. In game four, it was Derek Harper. In game five here, it's Spike Lee. Whatever it is, it's like, I don't know what would possess anyone on the Knicks to, like I said, motivate this guy, get under his skin, because he literally lives for that. Like, this is his Mm -hmm. oxygen, um, Mm -hmm. is, is having someone to taunt, to talk smack with. And it was just, it was like gasoline on the fire, man. It was just it, mm-hmm. it was just gasoline on the fire. Um, on the next possession, the Pacers force a turnover again. They're trying. The Knicks are trying to get an entry pass into Patrick. I think Spike has him revved up. Well, he can't get John Starks to talk to him or yes. Hubert Davis or anybody on the Knicks. But he's talking to the fans. Another Knicks turnover. Here's Workman, and he's fouled by Hopper. 
Yeah, so this time they actually succeed in in, uh, in the entry pass, but then uh, Ewing tries to kick it back out, and that pass is intercepted. Gotcha, yeah. Um, and Miller grabs it, um, uh, sends it down to Workman, who has to be fouled by Harper to prevent a layup. And it's just, it's like obvious at this point, like the Knicks are completely yep. shook. Uh, they have no no control over this game. The train has completely come off the tracks. I mean, it's it's actually seeing Workman run down the center of the court, you know, trying to go for the layup. It's like, yeah, he's a runaway train. Like, and that's mm-hmm. what this game is. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. just it's a it, it is totally lost any sort of composure, order, structure, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. It feels like a thing that as it's happening, you're just like. Oh no, like the more we try to stop this, the more we will actually feed the energy of the thing. Um, it's like a, uh, uh, I don't know, like, like, you know, exactly what, the, like, a, like a ball of yarn, where like when you try to collect the string, when you try to pull the string when a ball of yarn is unraveling, that only makes it unravel faster. Um, and like that is what feels like is happening right now. So Workman is on the line, Ben. He's shooting his his shots, his his foul shots. He hits the first, and the mm-hmm. camera pans to Reggie, who is very clearly now having, as Marv said, an animated discussion with Spike Lee. And in between foul shots, there is a shot of Reggie holding up four, the number four, yeah. and he puts both hands on his throat, Ben, as if to signify choking. Indiana points here in the fourth quarter. Reggie Miller giving the choke side to Spike Lee. Spike is appealing to the official Dan Crawford. I don't think that Spike realizes he's not in the game. It does not matter what Reggie does in the direction of Spike Lee. He wants a taunting foul called on Reggie. Yes. Um... I at this point like it it's sort of crazy it's it, it's sort of crazy that the camera caught all this in real time. Yeah. And that it wasn't it's true. that it wasn't staged, that it wasn't a play, <laughs> that like It's something that we've seen it, so many times yeah. that you're right. You're like it's actually seeing it like live on a broadcast, you're like, "Oh, that that was it." Yeah, like, that but was like, the moment. It's incredible that like Reggie it's not like um it's just so performative and so well executed. Like, cause, cause it's not like there's like a, a director off camera pointing to Reggie being like, okay, <laughs> camera, camera three you, is it's live on you, Reggie. Like do your, mm-hmm. do your little choke signal. Like the fact that he was just doing this completely invested in it and unaware of like what the cameras were doing or whatever is just amazing, man. Like he, I mean Reggie but, Miller. But Chris, what 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 you're forgetting, of course, is that there there was there was a director, there was a director off camera named Spike Lee. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That that's our moment. Yeah. He gives the choke sign twice. Uh, so he he holds up. It's kind of weird, actually, the way NBC uh, shows it. So it's a live shot where you see. The four, then the choke sign with two hands around his throat. Yep. And then and then what happens is he makes a second gesture. I don't know if you caught this, but after he has two hands on his throat, one of his hands, Chris, one of his hands, while one remains around his throat, one of his hands reaches down. I noticed that. Yes. 
reaches down. Now, we don't see exactly what that hand is reaching down to grab, but through subsequent interviews, it has come out that Miller was grabbing his genitals at that point. Um, of course, he is uh, directing these gestures at Spike Lee and his wife, who is sitting right next to him uh, in, the, in the first row. Um, so he has one hand around his neck and one hand on his penis, um, which I believe, Chris, um, is a, uh, a, a, uh, a practice known as autoerotic asphyxiation, um, which I have to imagine is a craft that he no doubt learned from his mentor, Larry Brown. I mean, Ben, um, all of his mentors. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's infused throughout the whole organization. I mean, again, this is a criminal <laughs> enterprise from Scalf to Larry Brown, now to Reggie, they're, they're fucking... Their fucking like war machine, Reggie, who yeah. they have literally pumped with evil. <sighs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, is he? Is he? Um, he is their war horse, Ben. He is, is he their, a drone? Is he? Is he like a? Is he? Is they he, built has he him. Been programmed. He, they built is him like, in a lab for this moment. Yeah, I almost wonder: Does he have the agency? Does he know what he's doing, or is he literally just has he been programmed? You to think Scalf acts like it's a RoboCop situation where Scalf is yeah, like... yeah a RoboCop or like a Manchurian Candidate type type of uh, situation right. where he's like running um, on a program. Yeah, he, he's literally he's not he's not doing this consciously. Um, yeah, I don't know; it's tough to say. But uh, yeah, uh, at any rate, um, there, there's our, our, our iconic moment. The choke sign has been given. Um, uh, Spike is appealing to the ref at this point um, to hit Le- uh, Reggie Miller with a technical for, uh, for taunting. To which Marv which, says what? Yeah, Marv immediately clowns him being like, uh, does Spike not realize like he's not a player? Uh, I don't, I mean, that's actually a good question. I don't know what the rules are for taunting a fan if, if it is the same. I mean, it's a different, uh, uh, you know, I feel like we've been yeah, saying the it same. It doesn't matter. We've been saying the same thing for how many weeks now? Like, it was a different era. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, if this happened today, yes. I mean, if, if, if like, you know, fill in the blank movie director, if, if, uh, Quentin Tarantino or Steven Spielberg was taunting LeBron James and they were screaming at each other with LeBron maybe be hit with like a a, a warning or a technical foul sure maybe I, I, yeah who knows yeah who knows but certainly in 1994 it wasn't it wasn't gonna happen and this was like yeah. part of this was part of the branding of basketball like basketball more closely resembled a hockey game than what we now know as basketball so you know it was all it was all fair like it it was all fair you know yeah totally so getting back to the game now so workman hits both free throws which does in fact tie the game so 72 72 72 now all the thing that's crazy yep in my memory i'm thinking um you know the choke sign whatever like all of his big threes must have come with like you know two minutes left in the game like it was so tense whatever it was like such a big moment no we still have eight minutes left in this quarter it's just a tie game with eight minutes left like reggie goes for that choke sign like early like early in the fourth quarter yeah um it was like kind of shocking to me how how it was like not you know, it, it it wasn't like a like a well, dude, uh, like we've, a clutch moment. Yeah, we've talked about Reggie and his penchant for these celebrations. Overreactions. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like certainly at times they've been overreactions. But what you'll what what I think is fair to say about Reggie is that like he went for the jugular, 
he went for the performative thing and he didn't wait until the buzzer to do it. Like there was literally no humility. There was no humble pie about Reggie Miller. So when he breaks out the choke signal, it's a tie game with four minutes left. I mean, we're not talking about like a commanding Pacers lead with 30 seconds. There's eight minutes left still. Oh, excuse me. Eight minutes left. Right. Yeah. Eight minutes left. (laughs) Eight minutes left. Yeah. Um, Eight minutes left. 72 all. (laughs) And like, he's, he's already calling it out. Like he, he, he's already, he's already saying the game is over in the same way that like in game three, when he hit a shot, he like almost dropped to his knees with his arms up to like the, to the heavens. Pumping his fist to the heavens in the third quarter of the game. It's a little much, but if nothing else, you're like, this guy has got some balls here because this is, this is so far from, this game is so far from over. Um, well, yeah. the thing that was painful about this one, uh, you know, different from from the overreaction, whatever, the premature celebration in game four, whenever that was, um, is that this time in the pit of your stomach, you knew oh, yeah, he no. was right. Like that, that, like that, that was like the, the gut punch was like, oh, he's like, he knows it. The Knicks know it. There's eight minutes left in the game, but it, it might as well be garbage time. Like yeah, this game's it's done. It's that feeling like, it's, where he's like, he's hacked into the matrix and it's like, oh, yeah. he knows that we know that it's over. Like, and yeah. now and now he's like literally dancing on our grave. Yeah. Now it's just a, a performance to play out the rest of the sequence, but it's all been predetermined. And that is why, for that reason, I think this is not something either of us want to admit or hear, but this is one of the great performances in the history of madison square garden like the fact that like oh yeah of course the fact that he like hacked the mainframe and celebrated on our grave and made us spend eight minutes watching it in real time yeah like knowing that we knew and just had to watch it is one of the great mind fucks of all time i think (laughs) you're really you're really true you're really right it's so yeah yeah i didn't think about that exactly in those in those terms but it's true the fact that he like basically like did the the celebration the the performative celebration before even the rest of the performance had taken place is like really what puts it over the top into like the almost like surreal abstract yeah um, it it was like they were doing like a touchdown dance at the 50 yard line it's like you guys haven't even gotten in the end zone yet like what do you how do you know that you're going to get in there? And it's like, but we all know, like we all, yeah. know. like we know that they're just going to run the clock down and win the Super Bowl. Like this is over. Yeah, in a way, that performance was part of the thing that like made everything else inevitable. Yes, um, they kind of like locked in what was to come. Um, yeah. So getting back to the yeah. game now, we have uh, another Knicks turnover on the other end. So this is directly following the work and free throws. We have another entry pass, this time from Derek Harper into Patrick Ewing. Four minutes gone by, again, LaSalle Thompson is able to steal the pass. Now, I would think the Knicks would realize that there's something wrong at this point. That's three entry passes that LaSalle Thompson has picked off. Incredible. I think at this point, this was the third entry pass that LaSalle Thompson had stolen, not in the game, Chris, in the fourth quarter. Mind you, this is, we have, we're about four minutes in. So within the span of four minutes, LaSalle Thompson, a completely unremarkable backup center for the Indiana Pacers, not known for his defensive quickness, uh, his steal, stealing ability, has now intercepted three different entry passes. Now, this is along with the one that Ewing bobbled out of bounds 
uh, and the other one that uh, he he passed back and, and was intercepted by uh, by Workman and Miller. Uh, so it's like the fifth turnover now, um, just just based uh, uh, off of entry passes. Um, completely just shook, unraveling. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Reggie Miller. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Spike Lee and sort of the spectacular offensive um, uh, performance here. But I do think like what what we also need to talk about is both the Knicks melting down and the Pacers playing ratcheted up defense. Like, Mm-hmm. Like the, the the Pacers were forcing turnovers. The Knicks were botching offensive possessions in a way that allowed for Reggie Miller to take over the game offensively. True, very um, true. And and yeah. to your point, like LaSalle Thompson is a big part of that story. And these turnovers, these these forced entry passes to Ewing that they just couldn't get to him, it's a big part of this Reggie Miller story here you know one of this this historic frankly this historic reggie miller performance here in the fourth quarter so yeah yeah it's all the all the you know surrounding fabric and context that like made these little moments like pop out yep so the pacers have just taken the ball away from the knicks they're coming up the court and i have in my notes again reggie miller with a stutter step he breaks away and he shoots from what feels like half court bend look at this shot Yeah, this is a this is a Steph Curry shot. Uh, Twenty years before Steph Curry ever took shots like this, this is a Steph Curry shot in standard definition on the biggest stage of, frankly, the franchise's history. Like the the yeah. the biggest game in the history of the Indiana Pacers. Uh, this guy is taking what feels like half court shots again in standard definition TV. And yeah, I mean, in reality, he's a good four, maybe five feet behind the line. Right. Um, which, again, at that time in, in NBA history, players did not didn't didn't take that shot. It, it wasn't like a that wasn't a shot. shot. It felt like a half yeah. court shot. It felt like a ridiculous, ridiculous, audacious move. And of course, Miller swishes it. Yep. Gukas says, "Look at this shot." To which Marv uh, responds, "And he hits it." And the score yeah. is now seventy five. To 72 pacers yeah and reggie now is staring down spike lee he is yeah, I, he is screaming at him i have to commend nbc now on its camera work because they perfectly perfectly capture this moment uh they zoom in on reggie who's just glaring and screaming to spike lee then the camera immediately cuts to spike who is sitting there next to his wife who has her hands clasped in front of her face and Spike is paralyzed, slumped in his seat, and I just thought to myself, he is a little boy that knows that he fucked up and he's being scolded and and grounded for like the next year of his life and it's all just like sinking in uh like like the punishment uh but instead of it being like that unfair like high school detention punishment, it's like Spike knows that he deserves this. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting there in his Brooklyn Dodgers jersey, um, you can just see the egg on his face, man. And like yeah. I'm not I'm not trying to be morbid or weirder or anything about this, but you know, like this is one of those moments that like will be on this guy's tombstone with all of his 
accolades and awards as a filmmaker and he is obviously like one of the most important filmmakers of you know the last hundred years whatever whatever it's uh, this that's a separate conversation like this is one of those moments that like he can't erase like this is a this is a part of history now like he cannot erase this from 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 happening Um, oh yeah and yeah you're right like it's it's an incredible piece of camera work here because you are seeing a man in real time come crashing back to earth and realizing like the weight of this inevitable loss, the weight of this inevitable series loss is going to hang on his head. It's going to rest on his yeah. shoulders. Now this is, yeah. this is on Spike Lee. It is an image of a man just disintegrating into nothingness. Yep. Um, yeah, it's really stunning. We have a Reggie Miller interview. You know, I don't go out there to start, start trouble, anything like that, but you know, in this game, everyone talks. You know, it's just not me. I mean, Derek Harper is talking just as much as I was, but because people think I'm known for it, you know, I'm the one who gets all the headlines for it. So, um, you know, we're just out there. I think I call it psychological warfare. Everyone's trying to get an edge. So uh, everyone knows how to play this game physically, but I think mentally is what, what gets people over the edge. Well, I call it, Ben, I call it psychological warfare. Interesting terminology. Interesting terminology, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so some might call it psychological warfare. Others might call it torture. Torture. Um, which, of course, as we have noted, is a war crime. It's almost been as though this is a, what, institutionalized practice within the mm. Indiana Pacers franchise, within the organization. It's something maybe they talk about at the first day of boot camp. Whether You're saying it's not just like a couple of bad seed soldiers no, uh, la- lashing out, lashing out at a at a terrorist prison. It's Chris, almost, you think it's more of it's a, almost, a systemic? Yeah, it's almost as though it's a part of the very fabric, the very DNA of hmm. the organization. That's weird. That's weird. Because I thought, like at Abu Ghraib, I could have sworn it was just like you know, just a couple of loose cannons that just kind of got a little carried away with themselves. Um, uh, but you know, w- once you get rid of uh, those, you know, two or three uh, bad bad soldiers, uh, n- no problem. You know, we can all go back to our to our business. Ben, I'm gonna march us towards as my experience of watching this game. I'm gonna sort of revisit that same experience doing this podcast. I'm gonna march us towards our inevitable end. Reggie, again from three. It is now 78-73, Pacers, 6.50 left. And I say in my notes at this point, Ben, I am not surprised. I am stunned. I am in awe. But, you know, this is an incredible performance. And I always knew that this was possible. Yet, here I am... I'm rewatching this, Ben, and I am truly in awe. I am, I am, mm-hmm. I am absolutely in awe of this spectacle that I'm watching. Um, and again, I, I forgot the results of this game. I intentionally sort of didn't allow myself to peek behind the curtain and remember, oh, which game did this happen? Which game did this happen? And seeing mm-hmm. it unfold in real time, Ben, was more painful than I think the real-life experience of watching this as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't... So another thing that we've that we've talked about offline, Chris, is 
I'm not, and this is going to sound crazy to say, as you know, a diehard Knicks fan in 1994, I'm not 100% certain that I watched this game live as a kid. Yeah. Um, so this is a, it was a Wednesday night game. And now back back in uh, in in those days, um, a uh, a playoff game, uh, even an East Coast game, was started at nine o'clock. Uh, so now I'm 11 years old. Nine o'clock means like pretty much like 10 o'clock was like the latest I was ever allowed to stay up. Um, you know, at that at that time, and so there's like a non-zero percent chance that I actually went to bed um, right. before the conclusion of this game uh so i'm not i'm, I'm not category. totally yeah i think yeah, i'm, I'm not totally category. sure or or i did stay up and, and and watched it but i just completely like actually literally blocked it out of my memory and like yep. suppressed the memory deep inside yep. um i really can't say for certain um but yeah there's a strong chance that i didn't actually watch this happen live and only learned of it the next morning um and and was just was just you know completely Whatever, confused whatever, and shocked and yeah whatever the case may be because I, I think I'm in the same camp um, you know 10 11 years old when this happened whatever the case may be re-watching it now probably because I'm aware of that at this point I'm aware oh this is the game when this happens mm-hmm. it's um, right. it's more painful because you're wa- it's like you're watching a sculpture melt um in in real time and you're like yep there goes the beautiful curves on this part and there goes all the fine detail work and you know that we are going to result in this puddle and right. and you have you're forced to watch the melting process in real time and it is staggering to see yeah knowing yeah Right, knowing the result beforehand, you're now watching like, okay, how did it happen? And your eyes like, are drawn to like all the little tiny, intricate, how could painful this have moments. been prevented? It was like, oh wow, it was that simple. Like, so like, yeah, it, the ball went out of bounds, and Ewing flipped out, and then Spike right. Lee said this. And every thing, single and little, right, every turnover that that seemed you know meaningless or trivial at the time, five second, you realize yeah, now, yeah, five second was, violation over here, and now the Pacers have yep. the ball. It's like, wait, all yep. of these things added up into this gasoline on a fire situation. And yeah, we keep coming back and saying the same thing. Like this was a must win game. And these were just stupid, stupid errors that didn't have to happen, but they did. And yeah, it was just the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong guy at, at the wheel for the Pacers because he took all of these little mental miscues all of these silly little mistakes that shouldn't be happening in the most important game of your season and he just literally you know stomped on our throats mm-hmm. yeah it's true i mean i don't know do we want to keep going no through no the, let's through, keep going play by yeah, play yeah let's keep going here <laughs> we, we, we're not allowed out of this one we have to we have to uh play it out um so let's see. Getting back into the game now, I have crazy transition play. Now the, the Pacers were up. Now it's a little. Con- there's some confusion because the last Miller three, Marv notes that it was changed to a two because his foot was on the line, which would make it 77-73 Pacers. But then later on, it was actually um, it actually came out that the refs, which uh, I, I believe it was a foot on the line too, but the refs awarded him three points. So it's either 77-73 or 78-73, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, Harper has a wide open three in the corner, which he bricks. And then in transition, 
there's this wild sequence where uh, the Pacers kind of like the, there's a loose ball, but the the Pacers are starting starting to grab it. Uh, Charles Oakley dives for the ball, and and or he's like kind of like chasing the ball, running after it, and then as Indiana kind of gains possession of it, Oakley just kind of like gives up on the play and just decides to slide onto the floor, just to, like. Oh, it, it literally almost made it uh, like to me, it, it felt like he was like, well, I have to make it look like I'm trying really hard here because this is like an important possession, even though he knew he had no chance at the ball. But it's like he just kind of gave up and like his feet just kind of failed him and he just like fucking fell onto the floor, which gave the uh, Pacers, uh, you know, an odd man fast break. Dale Davis has the ball. He slams into John Starks, who's trying to uh, draw a charge. There's no call. He kicks it out to Reggie Miller, of course, at the three-point line. And at that point, Charles Smith is still running back on defense in transition. But Charles Smith, I don't know if you, like, watched this play five times like I did. Charles Smith runs to the corner. But there aren't any players in the corner, Chris. There's no one there. He just runs to the corner as if there's a player spotting up for a corner three. But he runs past Reggie Miller, who's like right at like the kind of like you know, forty-five degree angle, whatever, like right right uh, along uh, above the break uh, on the three-point line. Miller's at that at that spot. Smith just blows past him into the corner, leaving Reggie Miller wide open. And of course, what does he do? Miller's in his last four shots. Here's Miller for three. Yes. He hits another three-pointer. Because why wouldn't he? Uh, we all know what's what's happening here. Uh, it's all preordained, predetermined. It is a um, a slow motion avalanche that is happening before our eyes. Um, another Miller three timeout, New York. Um, Marv says, just an astounding shooting exhibition being put on by Reggie Miller. Eighty one, seventy three, Pacers. 5.51 left, timeout Knicks. At this point, Reggie has 33 points. He's 6 of yeah. 11 from three. And I just keep thinking, I can't believe there's still five minutes and 50 seconds left in this game. Like, this game is over. Everyone knows it. Reggie Miller knows it. Spike Lee knows it. The New York Knicks know it. Every single fan, every yeah. single one of the 19,000 fans in MSG knows it. You and I know it. You know it. I know it. There are still five minutes and 50 seconds to watch of what is effectively just a a a post mortem like corpse kicking, yeah, dancing on um, the grave. This, this yeah. is a man that is dancing on our grave on national television, and you know it's like you're talking about that Oakley Oakley sliding on the floor and Charles Charles Smith running to the corner, and then making like this half hearted effort to try to block Reggie at the three, but he couldn't be further from him. It all yeah. it all just feels so inevitable, man. Like it all just feels yeah. like we're just going through the motions. Like Charles, right? Char- exactly. Charles Oakley diving on the floor and Charles Smith waving his arms in the air. Like it all. Like, feels these are like, puppets being controlled by a higher power like, that are like, just, no, no, no. This is how it's all going to go. Let's just get this over with already. We we all know yeah. how this is going to end. So the quicker we can get to that final buzzer, the better. So just like take yeah. the shot. We'll leave you open. Do your dance. At this point, Spike Lee almost has almost has like conceded like his case. Like it's it's just like we all know Reggie Miller has won, so like we just want it to be over as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And even the timeout, mm-hmm. man, it feels like just so painful. Like Pat Riley oh. just has too much yeah. self respect to not call the timeout, but not me, right. man. Like I don't have any self respect left at this point. I'm if I was the coach of the Knicks, I'd be like, screw this, just just just. 
just dribble out the clock. Like, let, yeah. let's just get just this can, over Talk with. to the referee and concede the game. Yes. Yeah, just fucking concede. Yes, yes. And, like, in the football analogy, this is like the other team taking a knee and to, mm-hmm. to try to, like, run down the clock and, and to, 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 to try to, like, you know, to, this is the other team, like, calling a timeout as we're taking a knee, trying to run out the clock. And it's like, we... I just want this over as fast as humanly possible. And at this point, I feel truly indebted to Pick and Roll UK, our friend on the internet, who um, has not given us commercials. Thank God. I feel at this point, <laughs> thank God I do not have to see a full contact golf. Thank God I do not have to see a commercial for the Camry or that fucking City Slickers 2 or, or oh, how about how about how about a? Uh, can I interest you in a in a cowboy way? Perhaps I'm not uh, interested a, in a cowboy. How about a cowboy way? I'm not. In, a couple of cowboys in the big I apple. I don't want to see. Really, it's fine. I don't want to hear from Woody Harrelson. I do mm. not need to see Sutherland or any of these guys doing Molson Ice. Chris? I don't need a full contact golf. I don't need a Molson Ice. I don't need to know about the next golf outing on NBC. At this point, at this point, at this point, even the Gallant would not make me feel better. I would feel angry if I saw a Gallant, and that is the yeah. most ugly thing i could possibly feel (laughs) at this point i just want i just want to get us home i just want to get us home so the score at this point ben is 81 73 it's incredible like it's incredible that it's an eight point game um because i i just couldn't even tell you what the score was all i know is that we're dead and that it's over yeah yeah it's all blur from here on out nothing matters um yeah uh ewing let's see bricks of baseline jumper uh harper who's like i will say Derek harper was like the one player who was like still sort of trying yep. to grasp at some uh you know dignity still still taking it uh strong to the hole patrick he gets, gets a bucket patrick gets a shot to fall at one point so it's 81 77 yeah it's a four point game. and the crowd and like and like sadly like at this point the crowd is back into it we've got four four fifteen to go here um yeah, the Knicks actually put together a nice defensive sequence, uh, drawing a 24-second violation on the Pacers. Um, yeah, man. Ewing makes an aggressive move to draw a, the sixth foul on Smith, so he's done. And you're kind of like, oh god, no one, no one realizes that we're that we're that we're finished here. That we're this is this is a done deal. What like what are we what are we doing this here, folks? Is, this is a really great point by you, Ben. And I, I want to talk this out, like, because because we started talking about this a little bit before about how, you know. It's one thing as a fan to feel spooked when you're watching at home on your couch or to be in the arena and to be feeling like, oh, shit, I'm, I, I think we're about to lose this game. But for an athlete, they have to remain focused and believe that they can win at any point, no matter the obstacle, no matter the score, right? That is fundamentally how I think performers and athletes are wired, that like they can overcome this obstacle no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it is sort of insane that at one point it's a four point game here in the fourth and you do sense that the fans are trying to convince the Knicks that they can do it, which is sort mm-hmm. of like, dude, like it's the, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a winner go home. It's a must win game in the NBA playoffs at Madison square garden, the most famous arena in the world your home court, like, if you need to convince your players that they're capable of beating their opponent, then you've already lost. Like, yeah, it's it's over. Yeah, sad to say, but completely completely correct. 
Yeah, Ewing hits hit, hits a couple free throws, so it's actually a two point game uh, somehow with four minutes left. It's eighty one seventy nine. Um, there's a timeout. There's like a, a crazy sequence that results in a jump ball, um, and then with uh, yeah, let's see, we've got about three and a half minutes to go here. Clock is winding down. Pacers with the ball. Clock winding down. Miller comes to the ball grabs it starks is right up in his face giving him no space whatsoever of course at this point he's like just blanketing him with uh, every every ounce of energy he has doesn't matter reggie miller just rises up pops one right in starks's face it's 83-79, about a little over three minutes to go now. Starks comes down, misses a tough reverse layup. There's a scramble for the loose ball. A terrible transition defense uh, uh, as Dale Davis is just wide open under the hoop for an easy dunk. Yep. 85-79 at this point, 245 to go. Uh, again, we're just playing out a meaningless sequence at this point. Um, got a couple, uh, an ugly missed shot by Charles Smith. Uh, Miller actually misses a shot at one point here, um, and then if Patrick uh, Patrick fouling Reggie on a loose ball. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just unreal. Uh, yeah. Miller. Miller. Miller grab. Yeah. Grabbing a rebound and Ewing. Or no. Yeah. There's there's like a um, right right. There's a rebound. Loose rebound. Ewing can't grab it. Miller gets to it and then Ewing kind of just pushes him out of bounds, like as if to like I don't know, just like a frustration foul. Sends Miller to the line. He hits two. Obviously, swishes both of them. 87-79. Yeah, Knicks have hit one of nine from the field in the fourth quarter at this point with a minute 34 to go. Uh, that's not a misstatement. One of nine from the field in the fourth. Uh, reminder, they were up 12. They were up 12 going into the fourth quarter. They now trail by uh, by eight. Um, Harper hits a couple free throws uh, to cut it to six. Can I just point something out here, Ben? Uh, a small detail. The delight. Sure. The delight. That Reggie Miller takes putting that chalk, that powder on his hands for his foul shots mm. is kind of unnerving. Uh, yeah. And the way he like stalks around the Madison Square Garden hardwood mm. in between foul shots, looking at yeah. Spike Lee like he is a conquering hero, which is what yeah. he is. Number one cock on the block. Yeah, yeah, like like that is he earned the right to do that. Don't like let's be very clear about that. Uh, I know. Again, that's why it's so sickening because you're so disgusted by his behavior, but this time you can't say that it's not. It's justified, earned. man. Like no, you're yeah, like yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, he's he's my daddy now. Like I yes. actually I actually have to like bow down this is to this w- this is fucking what we, disgusting yeah we've chosen we've chosen this destiny like we yeah. we had we had a chance to like not let this happen and we chose to let this happen and so now this is our fate and yeah. we have to accept it and it is really hard man it is really really hard to see this man reggie miller take such delight in owning us uh um, yeah yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty much the worst feeling in sports when when your villain has has in fact conquered you and now he's just celebrating in front of you and you are powerless to pre- to prevent it. At this point, Marv, um, Marvin Gukas note that Reggie is flirting with history. We learn that uh, they pull up a graphic for the most points 
in a quarter. It belongs to Eric Floyd, who had 29 points mm-hmm. in 1987. Reggie at this point has 23 points. And uh, at this point in my notes, I just wrote, you know, I can't, I can't take any more notes. Um, yeah. Uh, at one point, I jotted down something Marv said. A shocking finish here in the fourth quarter. And Marv compares this moment to uh, when the Knicks lost to the Bullets in 1971. Do you remember that? Well, art Nick fans, Nick historians, would compare this Indiana performance that if they hold on for the victory to one game in Nick history, but hopefully with a steal, then McKee wraps it up and they'll jump it off. You'd have to go back to April of 1971 when a highly favored New York Knicks team, the year after they won their first championship, talking of the Knicks of Willis Reed and Walt Frazier and Dave DeBusher and Dick Barnett and Bill Bradley, lost to the Bullets in a huge upset in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final right here at Madison Square Garden. They lost by two points, and the crowd sat stunned. This is the closest to that moment. Still 53 seconds remaining, though. We'll be right back. You'd have to go back to April 1971, uh, which was, uh, yeah, a little bit of history that I'd forgotten. I got to say, man, like, I feel I feel very appreciative. I feel very indebted, indebted to Marv, who is something of, like, a basketball historian, but more specifically a Knicks historian. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, having him in this moment is very powerful. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I love, you know, Doris Burke and Jeff Van Gundy and like all, you know, the crew that does the games now who, who do a wonderful job. But like, there's sure. something very personal about Marv Albert's relationship with the Knicks and Knicks history where he can really sort of speak to this moment and its place in history and the kind of shocking nature of it all in a way that mm-hmm. just, you know, a typical national broadcaster could not. Yeah, when Marv says it, it, it does. It, it drives home in a way that that it wouldn't if, yeah, if, if someone who was just like your average ESPN commentator like, or whatever. Oh, right. This guy does. This guy calls the games for MSG. Like he calls. Yeah. He calls the games. This is the home announcer, Marv Albert, who calls the games on the MSG network, and, uh, and then also does. Who's been Who's been on the job literally since the 1960s? Right. Uh, and then he does as like a young young man does double duty doing the national broadcast for NBC and TNT later. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the at the very as the as the clock is winding down uh, again to your point, Marv makes another comment. Quote: And that this will go down as a very dark day in New York Knicks history. Man, like what? Just just a devastating comment, which is completely true. Yeah. Um, I mean, this yeah, is like he he is... knew it. He knew it right then and there. Like he's like, this is historic. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. I wrote in my notes. It's funny. Gukas. Gukas keeps saying. It's not over. There's still 45 seconds left. But dude, it's like you and yeah. you and I both know it's stop. It's stop. It's it. over. Yeah. It's very much over. I know it. I've I've literally stopped hoping at this point. And yep. you know, under a minute, Reggie powdering his hands again for his uh, free throws. Just like it's just a terrible feeling, man. And I'm I'm curious now to talk to you about this game. We should talk about the. Uh, Ahmad Rashad interview with Reggie, but just oh my god, um, the 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 ultimate fucking shit in the wound. Yeah, uh, the the, the post game interview. Sure, 
Well, let's let's talk about the post game interview. Then, uh, then I just want to have a bigger picture conversation with you. But quickly, I mean, so if you haven't figured it out yet, folks, and if you don't know anything about history in terms of this game, the Pacers wind up winning, breaking our hearts. Um, the final score is I couldn't even tell you. Um, Ninety three to eighty six. There you go. Ninety three. Miller finishes with thirty nine points uh, in the on the game. Twenty twenty five in the fourth quarter. Five of five from three in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, uh, one, you know, as we've said, one of the all time performances and then, um, you know, as if I wasn't absolutely like nauseous, uh, beside myself, uh, at the end of the game, there's a fun, really fun little lighthearted interview with Ahmad Rashad range in the fourth quarter and Reggie is with them all. All right. Thanks, Mark. Reggie, what a performance you put on here tonight. 37 points, 23 in the fourth quarter. You guys really came out ready to play. No, we didn't come out ready to play. You we finished, <laughs> we you finished, very, well. finished very well. Uh, mentally, we were into the game, but, uh, you know, you got to give New York credit. They came out hard. Uh, they wanted to keep home court advantage, but all we wanted to do was stick around, hang around. If we got it close, we know there were going to be a lot of heavy arms over there, and we did a good job of doing that. Team showed a lot of confidence by coming through because the Knicks, the way they started, looked like we are going to blow you right out of the gym. But like I said, they came out with high intensity. We came out very flat, but like I said, we just, we just wanted to hang around. A lot of guys were tight, and I couldn't make any of my uh, early jumpers. I just wanted to stay kind of in the mix, and things just fell for us. What about Spike Lee? Spike who? <laughs> <laughs> we will see you on Friday. All right. All right. Good Thank luck you. to you. Marv. Reggie, of course, has his arm around Ahmad because, um, you know, they're just a couple of pals just yucking it up after a fun night of hoops. Um, I don't even really want to uh, discuss what was the content of this interview. Um, I don't I'm afraid of what, what it might make me say, but I will just um, uh, uh, summarize my thoughts by saying uh, Ahmad Rashad, we haven't talked that much about him. Um, but it has fully dawned on me at this point now that Ahmad is a servant of the devil. He is a he is a servant of Scalf, um, and uh, he is a bad man. Uh, it, I didn't it didn't fully uh, hit me, but uh, watching this interview and then remembering uh, some of the other post game moments with Ahmad, whether it was with Larry Brown or Reggie Miller, uh, and then thinking back to Game Three, and of course uh, uh, Ahmad committed. Perhaps the ultimate sin, Chris. He pushed the button in Market Square Arena. Ahmad Rashad back at Market Square Arena here in Indianapolis. Now, while in most arenas, all teams have a song. Like in New York, they have the Go New York, Go New York, Go. Well, here, it's the sounds of the Indianapolis 500 that gets this crowd fired up. Watch this. See? Wait, you push it in, and then you push this. <laughs> his finger created a race car sound effect at one point during game three um which to me is you know it's as bad as as uh you know pulling the trigger of a gun and and, and killing yeah, a, there, another human there's blood it's, on his hands yeah um uh ahmad is a servant of scalf um a servant he is, of he is, scalf he is part of the indiana criminal enterprise here he is. He is a a a uh, a card carrying member. Uh, it, it pains me to say, you know. Of course, we grew up uh, watching NBA Inside stuff. We we loved Ahmad. We thought Ahmad was um, was on the on the side of good, 
uh, on the side of light, but he is not. He is on the side of darkness. Ben, I want to talk about like where this game fits in your consciousness as like a sports fan, you know, as a a childhood sports fan, like where to me, this game was like as seminal as devastating as any sporting event that I can remember, whether it was a team I rooted for or, or not. Like to me, Mm -hmm. I put this in the same class I'm a, I'm a Mets fan, but to me, I put this in the same class as like, I remember when the Yankees were playing the Red Sox. Now we're tied at five as we go to the bottom of the 11th. Here's Aaron Boone to lead off. His first at bat of the game. There's a fly ball deep to left. It's on its way. There it goes. And the Yankees are going to the World Series. Aaron Boone has hit a home run. The Yankees go to the World Series for the 39th time in their remarkable history. And it just felt in that moment as the Red Sox walked off the field, losing at home to the Yankees. It was like, they are truly actually cursed. Like they are, they are cursed and they will never, they will never like, um, exercise the demons of their curse. And Mm -hmm. to me, like it was, it, it was in the class of, of, of that Yankees Red Sox game. It was in the class of like Tyson, uh, losing, to uh, Buster Douglas. Buster's legs actually look fresher to me. See Mike the way he went back in his heels, doesn't have the good balance. His legs together as Buster's landing these. Oh, they suffocate by Buster Douglas. Look at this. He's knocked Mike Tyson down for the first time in his career. Mike Tyson hits the canvas. He's in big trouble. He may not be able to recover. It's up to seven and eight. He's not going to make it. Buster Douglas, yeah. It was, it, it, it just had a utterly like shocking, shocking, un, un, unfathomable um, quality to it. I'm curious where yeah. the game like racks up for you and your memory. Yeah, no, uh, as I said, I don't, I don't know if I have a specific memory of actually watching the game happen live, but I definitely have a very, very vivid, vivid, unforgettable memory of waking up the next morning um, and, and sort of the emotions that I felt when I, when I like processed the result, which was just utter like shock, confusion. Um, it didn't make any sense. A reminder now, uh, the Indiana Pacers were a five seed. They finished the season 45 and 37. Um, in no way were they seen as a threat. Um, you know, they upset the Orlando magic in the first round, a even bigger upset in the second round uh, to the number one seeded Atlanta Hawks. And then when the Knicks went up 2-0, it was just like, all right, this is, you know, whatever. This is a team that we don't have to worry about. They're a five seed. The Knicks were, in my mind, as an 11-year-old, the best team on the planet as long as Michael Jordan wasn't playing basketball. Michael Jordan wasn't playing basketball, so I was like, okay, this is the year. This is the time that it is that it is supposed to happen for this team. Um, so when Indiana went up three, two, it was just like, 
I was like, no, 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 that that can't be right. Like I, I like didn't believe it when like I don't know my dad told me or I saw a Sports Center or something. I was just like, no, how did that? That's that's got to be wrong. That's impossible. Like it just made no sense in my head. It just like it, it like broke reality for me. Um, and I was just I just remember feeling more than anything sad, sad because I knew in my heart that the next season was over. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like oh we still got two games. No. It was it was the same feeling of like oh there's five minutes left in the fourth quarter of game five, uh, maybe we can still pull this one out. It was like no no this is done like we're done we're going back to Market Square Arena for game six, and the Pacers will will reel off their fourth straight win, the exact same thing that happened in 1993 the previous year when the Chicago Bulls won a crazy crazy uh, you know decide uh, you know uh, critical game five in the Garden the Charles Smith game obviously. Um, and I was like, well, this is what happens to this team. This is just how it's going to go, I guess. Um, and it was just really fucking sad because I really liked this team. I love this team. I was like really, really invested in this team. And to watch them lose to a random fucking underdog named the Indiana Pacers was just like heartbreaking um, and and just really sad. And I was like, I was just sad. That's all I can say. I don't know. Yeah, I think you made a good point about Jordan, like, I guess I, I don't think we were really accustomed. Uh, we didn't believe anything like this could happen now that Michael Jordan was gone. Yeah. No, Michael Jordan was the only person I thought could ever beat this team. Yeah. And also, though, like, I think we really truly felt that Michael Jordan was the only person capable of engendering that much fear in our heart mm-hmm. as what happened in the fourth quarter. And I, I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's like the dark reality that I'm sort of revisiting now in, in this rewatch is that like we, when Jordan left the league, we felt that like we f- could finally win it all. And when Reggie Miller did that, we realized like, no, it's not over. Like it's not over. Like it, even yeah. though Jordan's gone, like it's just not going to happen. And I have to say, man, like, I ended this game feeling hopeless and completely despondent. And I am certain we are going to lose game six. And at this point, much in the same way that I felt like I was saying, like really appreciative that pick and roll didn't give us commercials. I just want to get game six over with as quickly as possible. Not because I have literally any, any confidence that we will win, but mostly just because I just want to be sure that it's over and that we're dead. And I, I just, I just want, I basically just want to march to our inevitable death as quickly as possible. And I just want to oh, yeah. sort of get on with my life. Like I have yeah. at this point, I think yeah, once you, what are we in like fifth grade at this point? I, I, we have summer vacation to look forward to. Um, mm-hmm. We want to just sort of move on with our childhood. Like we don't want to live in this sense of like despair and dread and, and terror we want to we want to have a good summer we want to go to the beach we want to go to camp and hang out with our friends and um and and at this point i just want this nightmare to be over with yeah absolutely yeah i just i just want to watch the last game cry myself to sleep and then wake up the next day and right play video games with my friends play basketball go to summer camp uh and and get on with my life we don't even have to mention 
that this ever happened. Like we don't we we don't even have to pretend to be Knicks fans. We'll we'll just <laughs> pretend that like we're not even interested in basketball. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we will we'll just we'll we'll pretend like we don't know who Reggie Miller is. Like he's never heard us before or anything like that. Yeah, there's lots of other stuff I have yeah, going for we'll, me. We'll I can play Sega Genesis. Take up new interests uh, and hobbies. Uh, yep. Maybe we can focus on on the on the Rangers if we want to pretend that we're interested in hockey. Uh, sure. Whatever it is, we'll find a way to get through this. But we just need this series over with as quickly as humanly possible. Yeah, agreed. All right, man. Agreed. On that note, um, let's just get to the next podcast. I uh, yeah, I think we just need to get through that game and like i said get on get on with the show because we can't live in this sense of sadness um which is where we are right now ben yeah yeah we're we're at the depths right now we're at the bottom so we're We're going back to market square arena for yeah our funeral for our Mm -hmm. um prison sentence this is what we deserve ben we it's a great place to go to die, Chris. We um, and we—it's a death that we deserve. You know, we yep. we acted like we were better than this situation. We acted like we were better than this team. We sat courtside at the game, Ben, and we taunted the star player in mm-hmm. the fourth quarter of a win or go home game, a must win game, and he shamed us. He taught us a hard lesson. And now it's time for us to collect our things, Ben, to, you know, this is the scene in, in Jerry Maguire or an office space where, you know, the, the protagonist packs up his things in his little cardboard box and he takes his mm-hmm. security badge and leaves it behind and exits the building. And yeah. it's time for us to collect our belongings, Ben, and to go back to Market Square Arena and to take our punishment, um, you know, like we need to. Yeah, like the bad boys that we are, yeah. the naughty little boys. We've done a bad thing. We've done a very bad thing. We know we've 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 messed up, and um, and now it's it's time. Yeah, it's it's time to wait for our fathers to come home to discipline us. Ben, uh, I'll see you in game six. Get some sleep. Try to uh, try to be good to yourself these next you know couple of days here. I'll, uh, yeah, I might just go and uh, re-listen to our uh, our game three uh, uh, episode, Chris, um, again tonight to uh, to put myself to sleep. Yeah, I'm to those uh, those soothing sounds. Um, yeah, I can't wait to uh, to hear them again. More uh, than obviously, a little concerned about you, Ben, and I'm going to be touching base with your wife to make sure that you. That won't be necessary, Chris. I assure you, I uh, I am in complete control of all my faculties. I. Um, uh, there's no, there's no, no need to worry uh, or fret uh, whatsoever. Okay. I, um, I'm just excited to hear the race cars again in Game Six, and if I can't wait uh, t- uh, for Game Six, I, I think I'll just uh, re-listen to some race cars from Game Three and Four uh, before uh, Game Six. So that's my, that's uh, my, my plans for the evening. Take care of yourself. I'll see you at Market Square for Game Six. All right. All right. Can't wait, my friend. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that. My name is Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at us at OnTheLine underscore pod. Find us on Instagram. Email us any of your thoughts or questions, memories, whatever it is, to OnTheLinePod at gmail.com. Check out previous episodes on our website. OnTheLinePodcast.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show. It really helps us out a lot if you could do that. Uh, find us in Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. We really appreciate it. Hope you guys are doing well here in the pandemic. Um, Stay safe. Please stay inside. Hang in there. And uh, Ben and I will talk to you next week.